The reason that I start with Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6, it is the first passage of Scripture that I remember that ever gave comfort to me. The setting was in a hospital, St. Luke's Hospital, on Mockingbird Lane in 1988. I had just been flown there by an emergency aircraft having suffered what was called a brain bleed from an arterial venous malformation. At that time, in 1988, there were two surgeons that were trained to cut that kind of uh, disease out of a person's head. And one was in Dallas and the other one was in Boston. Dr. Duke Sampson was to be the order of the day. And this, all this event happened on the first day of school of my sophomore year. In high school, I had a, a, a two grand mal seizures and had to be taken to Dallas for brain surgery. I remember being in St. Luke's Neurological Intensive Care before being transferred over to UT Southwestern in the Zale Lipsy Center, having a card handed to me by Sue Gordon, Dr. Gordon's dear wife whose plane we flew down in there with him attending to me. And it had on that card Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I would not necessarily say it is my life verse, but it may be my life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall make your path straight. That began a process of schooling for me, a schooling and preparation for the ministry, although there was absolutely no minister in my family, there was no desire to be a minister in our family. I didn't even go to church in the evenings because Star Trek conflicted with the church. That's like cowboys conflicting with church today, you understand. Uh, Star Trek's just more important. And um, um, nonetheless, and so that happened, don't get offended. And, uh, and so that was a very memorable thing. And I remember during that time, as the day approached from being moved from one hospital to the other to have this 14-hour brain surgery, having the peace of the Lord descend upon me. Now I had received Jesus Christ, as, or I had the gospel presented to me in September of 1984, and I do believe... Uh, historically that that was the day that God regenerated me and gave me saving faith and that I believed. I do believe that. I, it has always stuck and uh, it is just part of my testimony. Later on, then in 1991, a new catastrophe would befall me and it was the first time that I really appreciated the hymn book because it was at the funeral of my father of 48 years of age who died of cancer four months to the day after I graduated from high school that I heard that I can remember the song by Horatio Spafford, It Is Well With My Soul. It is truly, may not be my life hymn, but it seems to be. I love that so much and it is, it is based upon the assurance of God the assurance we have in Christ, just as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is based upon the assurance that we have in our holy God. Then comes September of 2007. And in 
September of 2007, my mother dies of cancer, having been diagnosed 18 months earlier at the age of 63. And we buried her in September. So she is separated from the death of my father by, what, 16 years, all happening in September. It was immediately upon the notification of my mother's death that my stepfather filed a suit against me in district court on the very same day for the estate of my mother and father that was at a value of about $3.6 million, all earned by hard work. And uh, it was a most horrendous time in my life. My cheese fell off my cracker. My mother was gone. I had to deal with an estate that I was going to lose just because I wasn't going to give the money to the attorney. And uh, uh, I was outclassed and I would not sacrifice my name and I would not uh, sacrifice my ministry. And uh, so I want to stop at that point and tell you what I received last night. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58. And I want to share something with you. And I want to speak to you a, a sermon, a message of testimony. Of testimony. In October of 2017, the lady who gave me the card when I had brain surgery in September of 98 wrote my name by the verse I'm about to read. She wrote my name out by this verse. She texted me this last night. And of course her husband, Dr. Gordon, is like my father. And I will have to gather at the river, or not gather at the grid, but we're going to have to go do his. And that one is, you know, it's like, Lord, I, I'm tapped out. <laughs> These are the giants of my life. And so I was asking how she was doing, finding out if her house in Vail was available for some friends to, go, well, family to go for Christmas. And she said, JT, she said, I was reading Isaiah and I came across this verse, and I have your name written by it, October 2007. That's when the case for the lawsuit went to the district judge and it appeared in the newspaper. This is what the verse says. Look at it. Verse 14. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Having now been in ministry all of these years, having become a Christian in 1984, it's all starting to come together. What an amazing truth 
She did not share that with me, but she shared it with me. I'm going to print the the text in, in meaningful letters I have. I started this with Katie. Meaningful letters I have in my study, I staple to the wall up around your card you gave me. I staple it up around my window. I keep everything that's given to me about that. Why would we want to talk about this? Well, let me tell you why. That is a testimony of a believer using Scripture to minister to another believer, and you never know what's going to happen. So the basis of the message today begins with this true story. I ask permission to tell it, and then I'm going to give you some application and at the very end provide the theological teaching for all of this, okay? Uh, There is a woman who works at the Cracker Barrel. Her name is Allison. Allison is a sweet soul. She's a sweet woman. And, And this morning, she came up to tell me a story. Right now, she is in a position that her son is a type 1 diabetic and he does not have the ability to pay for his insulin without them rationing some things in their home. They have to choose to go without in order to buy insulin for him. And a type 1 diabetic cannot live without without insulin. And so Truett is a type 1 diabetic. And during the days of not being insured, we would ride Eli Lilly or we would write uh, Novus Nordum or whoever, and they would provide the insulin uh, to us because our income was at such a level and because we were not using this or that and so forth and so on, and so it was something you can give. And as I was telling her this morning, I said, that's one of the great things about America because you can get what you need if you need to get it. And it's not taking advantage of the system because the people that are that are making it say they want to do this. So here's how the story goes. A couple weeks ago, Allison was waiting on a table and there was a group of men that asked her, how can we pray for you? And she looked at her, those men and said, oh, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm really good. And then she thought for a minute and she said, you know what? My son can't buy his insulin. For us to buy insulin with insurance for Truett, it charges $1,800 a month. That's what it charges the insurance company. Eli Lilly sends me three months for $70. That's a racket. So she asked these men, she said, I want you to pray that somehow we can have some peace and not have to ration this insulin issue. Choose between insulin and food. That's a hard choice to make. And this woman is waiting tables. She's working. She's not sitting at home eating Fritos. And she's a single mom raising her family, putting a kid through college. You can do it if you work. So this morning, she came up to me and she said, I know you're studying, but I just have to tell you something. And she began to tell me the story. And then Truett told her the other day at work, I know how to get your insulin. And yesterday, I sent her the application. She can get the insulin for free. And she came up to me this morning and she said, I just want you to know, I believe that God answered my prayer 
and I believe he answered the other people's prayers, and I believe he did it because God's just good. And I said, that's exactly why I did it. And she said, I want to thank you. I said, I'm not the one to thank, but I've been where you are. I understand, and I'll help you get whatever you need. That's an amazing truth of God's faithfulness, His covenant faithfulness to His people. You're in a jam, and the last thing you want to do is tell anyone. The last thing you want to do, you think it's to your shame. I want you to write this word down. If you, if you are born again, Anything that you believe is to your shame, God can use for His glory. And I mean anything. What is your shame can be God's glory. And so, that happened. That's all according to Scripture. His faithfulness. He hears, the, he hears the prayers of the saints as we prayed a moment ago. They're having a worship convention outside? What's going on out there? And uh, they, they, so there's, uh, there's God answers His prayer. He sees His sheep like without a shepherd. And He has compassion on them. Then... This week, I walk into the bank, dollar short, day late. Been praying for a long time. God, I need a banker that understands people and that needs a preacher. Well, over time, I finally have found one. I go into the bank. I have to do some business, take care of some things that I cannot take care of and have a person that's merciful. And this guy begins to tell me about his story. And it's a very sad story. And I said, I'm glad I'm not drinking your poison. And I wouldn't want you to have to drink mine. He said, well, that's not the worst one. I just got back from a trip and I was helping a family member and he has a dear acquaintance that has a 43-year-old woman friend that just got diagnosed with cancer from the tip of her toes to the top of her head and she's going to die and she has children. He said, and I think I have problems. And I looked at him and I said, brother... This is why we're together. We are here for each other. We're in this together. And there was something that clicked in that moment. But the last story and then the rest is this. Who taught me that? We're all in this together. Johnny, my friend. Johnny and I have been friends since I went to post. And this last week, and he'll listen to this sermon, and he'll correct me if I tell a story, and I'm not going to tell a story. I also know God's listening. But when he found out about Jonathan and those tumors last week, he told me at Bill White's funeral meal, I was undone. I had to leave. And that night they received the bad report Johnny couldn't even make a complete sentence. And we went through the weekend and it was not until Thursday that the bad report stopped. And in the meantime, there was the necessity to go do the final committal of my and your dear friend Bill White and minister to that family. 
it was more than I can bear. And you know it's not a occupation, it's an occupational hazard for pastors to do drugs and, and smoke marijuana and drink. So sometimes we just have to face it. I'm thankful for friends like Rick and Londa who have been, been very solid for us in this time to, to, you know, seek us out and help us. And then the other night, I'm driving to Cracker Barrel, surprisingly, for dinner. And Johnny calls me on the phone. And he says, Brother James, I feel guilty. I need to make a confession. I said, what's that? The biopsy just came back. He's got cancer. It's coming from the colon. So that's stage four cancer. Okay? He's 34, got an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. He's a professor at SMU. He's, he's more smarter than, I mean, he is so smart. National Merit Scholar, PhD, great kid, one of my youth. And Johnny said this to me. He said, I feel euphoric. I feel strong and confident. I feel like whatever happens, it's going to be okay. He said, I need to confess this sin. I said, there is no sin to confess. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you have received the peace of the Lord. The peace of God has settled on your heart. And before you get to the end of your rope, that's when he sends it. And it turned out that, that I shared with him from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. The passage of Scripture says, Be anxious for nothing. But, and see, I don't, I don't say that to you. I know of you who are the anxious ones. I'm not looking at you right now. <laughs> Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your uh, supplications known to God, and the peace of God will pass all understanding. Also says that in John 14, where Jesus is about to leave. He says, My peace I give you, not as the world gives, I give it unto you. That's what he received. A friend of his called him that is suffering from the same battle and completely undone, and he passed it on to her. And she said, my brother, my friend, and my pastor. I, Johnny still works. He's a retired superintendent. I think he works to send a check to this church. He is the one that taught me the phrase, Brother James, he still calls me that. He was never, ever dropped handles with me. I'm always Brother James. Brother James, we're in this together. I want to plead with you this morning to be in this together. And I want to show you why. I want to show you why. I want to show you from the standpoint of this. In the very beginning of time in the garden... In Genesis chapter 2, God said it is not good for man to be alone. That is not just a discussion about man needs a mate. Man needs sexual conquest. The world needs to be populated. Man needs to not be alone. I came to this town completely absorbed with my own aloneness. So much so that I had a downtown, a downstairs study 
and an upstairs hidden one that no one came to. Only Mary Jo did. She'd come in and ask me big old hard questions after choir practice. That's where I fell in love with her as a, as a friend. She'd come in there, she didn't care. Come out of choir practice, they'd just been singing the Hallelujah Chorus and she'd come in there and ask me something about McKizzledeck or something. And give me her uh, email. I still remember Ram What is that? And who are you? But anyway, and then just a family that we just love generationally. When we set up the office here at the Journey, I have a study here that, that no one knows where it is or has been into it, but the reality of it is I can't even stand to go in it anymore by myself because I have learned the value. We're in this together. We are here to bear one another's burdens, and you never know that slipping a card like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 or writing a name out by a verse, what, almost 20 years ago, would change destiny in people's lives or be a confirmation for the life you've lived. God says in Genesis chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, but He says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. In John chapter 14 verse 18, where He talks about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me in verse 6. And then at the end, verses 24 through 25, he talks about my peace I give you. Right there in the middle, John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Orphanos. I will not leave you as orphans. And so go over here to Isaiah 50. I want to show you something that Truett sent me the other day uh, that there was some gleaning out of that will be helpful for all of us. Isaiah chapter 50, and I want to show you this as I make my plea to you this morning. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. We in the providence of God have been brought together. You were not brought together to come to church. You were brought together to come be it. You were brought together to become part of something that God wants to do, that He cannot do with others because we're all in different classes of things. Folks go to different churches because the level may be different in preaching. You come here long enough, your level will come up. We never lower the level here. But your level will come up. It's just like weight training or you know, fixing something. Once you've done it a few times, you know how to do it. But look at what it says here in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord? Every time fear is used in the Bible it, it, regarding God, it is talking about reverencing Him, honoring Him, giving Him His due. There are some things even the worst of us sinners in here will not do because of the reverence of God. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of His servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Here are three things I want you to write down. Number one, what do you need to trust? You need to trust God's character. God's character. 
Now let me say something to you about God's character just quickly because I want you to understand the concept of what character is. Character is referring to this attribute. Why God does what He does. So you want to write that down so you never ever forget that. The character of God is why God does what He does. 1 John 4, verse 8 and 16 says, God is love. That's His character. And He's loving. So when we talk about the character of God, then what He is saying in this passage is, who among you that fears the Lord and obeys His servant that walks in darkness has no light? He's saying those of you that, who fear God and obey His voice, you are the people of God. And He says here, and you're walking in darkness and cannot see light. That doesn't mean because something's wrong. It means because something's very right. You may be, in fact, being trained in a different class of schooling. You may be involved in a different kind of hardship than another person is. Whereas some person, you know, they, they, get a, they have a, a, a situation that comes across and it, it, it absolutely undoes them. Whereas someone that's been down that road before... When they've been down that road, it doesn't undo them the same way. They're in a different class, not as a different class of whether it's a Chevrolet or GMC or a Cadillac. I'm talking about they're in a different class of, of like Theology 101, Theology 202, Theology 303, like that. Everybody is different. And so this is, this character of God is why God does what He does. So... Believers sometimes walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes God teaches you in the place where there is no light. So, you need to trust. There's something else you need to do. You need to trust not only His character, you need to trust His nature. You need to trust His nature. Write this down. The nature of God is what God is. Character is what He does and why He does it. Nature is what God is. These are His permanent qualities. When you walk as a believer and you enter into the dark place, there's songs about this. There are, there are historical writings about the deep, uh, what do they call it, the, the, uh, the dark night of the soul. There are those that are so happy and so rapaciously glorious that if the rapture were to have it happen, they'd overshoot it. But if you're in the school of grace, there are times that your obedience, your service, your diligence will lead you into the darkest pit. And so when you're in that place, you've got to trust in the character of God and the nature of God, but you also got to trust in the Word of God. 
This, I believe, is the hardest thing for me to convince people of. But once they have gone through this valley, it's not hard at all. Because it's all you will have left. When you go to this place, what happens is there is nothing to sustain you in this dark place. You are there because you've been obedient. You are there because you've been called. You are there because God said it. And He has put you in a place where you cannot feel Him and you cannot see Him. And folks say that is not Christian. No, it is. And look at the life of Jesus Christ. At Easter, I'm going to preach a message on the consciousness of the Lord in the tomb inside the body of the man, Jesus of Nazareth. How he sanctified the grave. He was conscious and he was in there. Consciously. And the mysteries all around it. You come to the place where there is nothing to sustain you. You have to go to the banker and beg and say, I need to write some hot checks. It's going to take me a week. The offerings are down. Will you help me? Yes. I will. Why are you helping me? I feel I should. I used to couldn't ask for help. Larry's the first guy I ever went to in this town and asked for help. I couldn't even go to Bill and ask for help because of shame. And sometimes I would have to do that because of my stupidness. Most of the time it's because I am committed to the work of a pastor the work of a pastor, of a local pastor, he is to live off the gospel. I was offered a job yesterday at Cracker Barrel, $14 an hour to wash dishes by the general manager. And she said, why would you want that job? I said, because it would humiliate me. But I said, the only reason I can't take it, it would humiliate my church. See, I'm not a circuit preacher. I don't ride around without a congregation and make $5,000 preaching in this pulpit and that pulpit. I have to check my iPhone before I buy dinner or buy lunch or buy anything. I, don't, I have to do that. If you want to buy my truck, i got a price for you. I don't even want it. I loathe it. Because I know He's faithful. And every time I think about going to work as a pilot or something like that, I hear this word from God in my head. It's not, I hear this word from God in my head. This is the word. Some trust in chariots. I'm not asking you to do anything. We were at lunch the other day talking. Someone said, what if someone came in you and took care of everything? I said, I would turn it down because I cannot handle it. I can't handle it. I've, I've made a church a million dollars. I've lost my job for it. I've done other kinds of things. Money's never been the issue. The issue is how do you get people to trust God and serve Him? And the reason is, is they're going to walk through this valley. So listen to me. When God all of a sudden, you, you can't, you have nothing to sustain you anymore. You have nothing to go forward with. You cannot feel Him. 
You cannot see Him. Let me tell you what's happened to you. It's what you're seeing right now. God has made a spectacle of you. He's made a spectacle of you. And what you think is His shame, is your shame, is His glory. Because when God leaves you with nothing, you have everything. Because you have Him. Let me give you three proofs. One, when the uh, Israelites were wandering in circles in the wilderness, what did God do? Exodus 16, 1-36 explains He fed them with angel food cake. He fed them with manna. Where did the manna come from? God. And it said every man took as much as he needed and was required. And the man who took too much had all he needed. And the man who took too little had all that he needed. That each had an omer. God provided. Then you have Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet that's not mentioned in the hall of faith. But he is the one though that had the privilege to stand on the mount of transfiguration with the lawgiver and the law keeper. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, God sustains Elijah the prophet with ravens who bring him food. But then you have those that followed Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 6, and in Luke, who had no food, they were absolutely drawn to the teaching of His Word and the power of His ministry, and the time had become late, and out of five loaves and two fish, He fed 5,000 men plus their families, and He had 12 baskets left over, each basket for each disciple. And immediately they get into a boat, and they get into the storm, and they say, we have no food, and we have no Jesus, what are we going to do? We're going to die, and Jesus says, your faith is weak, He saves them, what does He do? He continues to teach them and then He sends them back into the dark place because when they go back, they have learned to trust in the nature, in the character, and in the Word of God. When you are going to a place you've never been before, a divorce, the one that you've loved so much that absolutely is despised now, when you have been hurt so bad, so abused, so wronged, you've never been there and you think, wait a minute, I'm going to go back to the booze I used to do. I have asked this question as others have. Let's say you have a person that comes into your office, they say they're a believer, they, they indicate they're a believer, so you take their word for it, they come and they say, I cannot see God, I cannot feel God in my life, then you say this to them then why don't you go back to your drinking? And they will say, I can't. What do you mean you can't? Go get drunk. I'll I'll find a bar for you. Go get drunk. That'll solve your problem. I'm, I'm saying this as a pastor, okay? And this, I can't do that. Well, we'll let, or another person comes in and says, says I, I can't make it anymore. I've, I've got to go hit the, hit the this or hit the that or go get a big psychotropic drug or do something like that just to make it. And you, you say, then let's go get it for you. I, I can't. 
but you said you can't see Him, you can't feel Him, so therefore he, you're saying He must not be there, so I'm telling you, go back to your beer, go back to your whiskey, go back to your, whis- your women or whatever your preference is, go back to it, and the response is always the same. I can't. And I ask, why can't you? And they say this, because of God. And I said, are you sure He's not with you? And then all of a sudden, what sets in in their presence is an attribute of God's character and His nature and His Word. He was there the whole time. And making, look at me, making you a spectacle on earth is giving Him glory in heaven. You say, what's an example of that? Job. Have you considered my servant Job devil? That's how it started. The devil was bored. God said, hey, devil, you considered my servant Job? He won't curse me. Go do what you want to. You just can't kill him. So he goes down there, gives him all this terrible stuff. The man doesn't curse God. He comes back up and he said, it's because you won't let me do all this stuff that he won't. All right, you can do anything you want. You name it, you got it. Survey says, do it. You just cannot kill him. So he goes down and wipes out his whole family, his wife, uh, everything. He loses all that he had. And what does Job do? He says, why? You know what the answer to that question is? Because. Or why not? Because in the end, that's where we get the passage of Scripture that says, who are you, old man, to say to me who set the stars in the skies. What are the stars there for? To show you the darkness is not that dark. And the one who put the stars in the skies is the God who made covenant with you to be faithful and true regardless of what you do if you believe in Him. We don't preach in this church that you're not going to have difficulty. We preach in this church that your life is a life that is being prepared to be let to be prepared to be laid on the altar of service to God, like your Savior Jesus. How come some of us face these problems and others don't? Because we're all at a different place in class. I didn't have a PhD in theology in 1988. I just learned a Bible verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Lean not on your own understandings and God will direct your paths. It's the last thing I said to my mother and dad before they knocked me out for 14-hour brain surgery. One of the reasons I like to wear my hair short is so people can see the scar on my head. It was when I went to seminary that things began to broaden and then it was in the pastorate that I became broken. Most of my contemporaries have all quit now. 
I was looking at the state paper the other day, and it talks, I always read the page about all the churches that need a pastor, senior pastor. I do not look at it because I want to go do that. But one thing I have found is you're going to be hard-pressed anymore to find a senior pastor that's full-time. And when you consider that for a church, a church is to have a minister that is theirs exclusively. And when a church decides we're not going to pay to have a senior minister and to care for him with double honor and make sure he has the comforts we have, we're going to do this so we can have our building programs and all of those other things. Those churches are cursing themselves. But the thing is, it's exactly because of that, men are no longer answering the call to go in the ministry. But God is also allowing a dearth to come that there are not ministers being called. Men will not work for a penance. That is not the way the American society is built. But I can't do anything else. You know why? Because I don't want to. I love being a pastor. I love preparing worship services. I love praying for people. I love having the kinds of friends we have here that I can just be James, but when I come to the pulpit, I can be the man of God. Let us hope that I am never the man at home that I am in the pulpit, or that I come and sit in the pulpit. Always, I've always heard people brag about this. They'll say, my daddy's the same in the pulpit as he is at home. I hope not. I hope in the pulpit he comes in fear and trembling. Let me tell you something about God's covenants. You write these five things down. God made a covenant with Himself. It's called the eternal covenant of redemption. God made a covenant with the Trinity. God made a covenant with the creation. These are all Bible verses and Bible stories you know from childhood. God made a covenant with humanity. God has made a covenant with His elect. Those are the born again. And God has made a covenant with you. And there are two things God cannot do. And there are only two things God cannot do. God cannot die and He cannot break covenant. So let me give you some application. All of you are going to walk in darkness. As believers, you're going to walk in darkness. Help is here. Help is here. And it will always be the same kind of help. Point you to the nature the character, and the Word of God. It's why I want you to take the bulletin home with you. You should take the bulletin home every week because everything I tell you or pray or have, it's in the bulletin. The Bible verses are there. I want you to see it is rooted in the, trend, in the triune Godhead. 
We pray not only in the name of Jesus, but we pray to God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Son. But here is, here is what I want you to see in the very end. I have pages of notes. But this is just, it's just my story. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, just listen. But, okay, so Isaiah 58, or Isaiah 50, 10 talks about obeying, serving, listening, hearing, and walking in darkness. Messianic promise. The Messianic uh, prophet. Well, listen to John now say this. But, If we walk in the light, as He Himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There are times in our life that our lives become an open spectacle and an open shame. But if you're in God and in Christ Jesus, God even uses that for His glory. And when you walk in the very dark places, you cannot feel Him, you cannot hear Him, you cannot see Him. What do you need to do? You need to start walking. You need to start walking in your spirit and remember the nature, the character and Word of God. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with God. It's the reason the man who used to have the problem with alcohol that is born again and then he comes and he cannot see, he cannot feel, he cannot taste, he cannot touch, he is undone. I say, go back to your old way. And he says, I can't because there is a glimmer of light in his heart because God doesn't make junk. And what he starts, he finishes and thus He uses your dark path not only to bring Him glory in heaven, but when you emerge, you will now be able to help someone redeemingly, receptively, respectively, realistically walk in theirs too. Can you imagine how dark the tomb was when Jesus was laid in there? It was sealed shut with wax to prove it had not been opened. And his consciousness was there. This is in the Bible. You say, I've never heard it before. There's a lot of things we haven't heard before. We thought we were under Bible preaching until we got under Bible preaching. He's conscious. Can you imagine how dark it was? He is not resurrected yet. His body is stone cold dead. He can smell it, but it's dead. There's a mystery. There's some things we cannot understand. But he sanctified the grave. And then there was that great getting up morning. Luke Garrett, I don't know if he still sings. If I could sing it, I would. It's a song called Arise. Arise, for star of the morning skies, come forth my anointed one into eternal life. Arise, arise, blah, 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 but it's way too high for me to sing anymore. Blah, 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 blah. It's awesome. Here's what I want you to do. You keep walking. 
You keep walking in trust with the nature, the character, and the Word of God. You remember, He fed the people of Israel when they had no way to feed themselves. He fed His ministers when they had no way to feed themselves. He always comes through. And when His followers were hungered, He fed them the freshest bread that you can imagine. Bread from heaven and fish from the sea. Well, fish from heaven too. You keep walking in that nature, in that character, who God is, what God does, and what God says. And then this is the second thing. Suit up. Don't just keep walking. You suit up. Put on the whole armor of God. That's there for you. That is not for you to take offense, for you to become offensive, take an offensive posture. It is for you to take the biblical posture have the helmet of salvation, the sword of, of the Spirit, and the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals shod with the, the, the gospel of peace. All of that. Galatians. And then last of all, remember this. The enemy is not man. Your enemies are not men. The enemy is not the party in power. The enemy is not the person that moves the boundary line. The enemy is the devil. He seeks to, what? Steal, to kill, and destroy. But God, through Jesus Christ, has come to give you life and life more abundantly. Some of you, you say you can't walk through the valley and have an abundant life. You'll never have an abundant life until you have. It is only until you've become poor that you truly become what is known as rich. (sighs) Suit up. Put on the armor of God. Last of all, I want you to do this. Ask for help. I have a physical need in my body that is of concerning note. It is too personal to share but I have shared it with some. It is something that would require an intervention. I have asked for prayer, was consulted this morning by one who had been praying, and I was able to give a report that the prayer is working. And in the process at the house, it turned out we had exactly the kind of medicine that would take care of it that Kelly found last night that hadn't expired, and so everything was working. So. I don't think I can say anymore, even though I have tons of stuff to say to you. I could tell you about the nature and the character of God, but here's what I want you to leave with. I want you to keep walking in the nature and the character of the Word. You stay with it. You say, how do I do it? You keep learning. You keep growing. You want help with that? You found the right guy to help you. I can help you with that. That's my expertise. Don't come to me for dentistry. Don't come to me to manage your money. Don't come to me to tell you how to fix a car. Don't don't do that. But if 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 you want to know about this character and nature and the Word of God, I'm your man. And you can't do it alone. Walk in it, suit up. Last of all, ask for help. And remember that God right now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 6-7, through 7, God even right now 
even right now, is restraining the mystery of the evil one. He is not allowing him to be completely overturning your life. The last illustration I want to give you is the word that I gave to Johnny the other day when he couldn't finish. And I, I will send it to you if you ask for it. And I, I'm only moved to share it with you because right I don't have it written down right here. I just, well, where's Johnny McGregor? Uh, there he is. Listen to this. This is what I shared with him. Just close your eyes. Be still. I know you know that Jesus is known as the prophet, priest, and the king. After his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. The same truth is taught in 1 Corinthians 15, 27. For he has put all things in subjugation under his feet. And as such has promised us the fruit of the Spirit for those in his kingdom, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Our favorite theologian says it this way, the kingship of the universe that God entrusted to Christ as mediator on behalf of His church as mediator, he now guides the destiny of individuals and nations, controls the life of the world, and makes it subservient to his redemptive purpose, and all through it protects his church against the damage to which it is exposed in this world. That has to mean everything from the fall to the final judgment. Jesus Christ, the mediator, has taken care of his people. Let us pray.